0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. It's a shame, everybody. We should have recorded the last 15 minutes. <laughs> Of Kate and I shooting the shit and getting to know each other because we've been waiting for this.
0: Yeah, please meet my my new best friend Pete.
1: <laughs> like literally we had all this pent up questions for each other, like, tell me why this is, and then we explained
0: it. Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> Isn't that the coolest thing though? It is. Like sorry to interrupt you, but like I love how you know there was people so all I've known about you is like who you are online, obviously, but I've I've seen your your photo, your headshot that's half an inch high, <laughs> right? So that's the Pete I know. That's right.
1: <laughs> That's how my wife sees me. Right. Come here, little guy.
0: And I've been, look- <laughs> I've been looking into the eyes of that person for so long, and I feel that I know that person. And so isn't it remarkable how, like, suddenly, even though on the screen, obviously, it's not the case, but we, we go from that two-dimensional thing to this is two-dimensional yeah. also, you know, more or less. But I feel like, I fucking know you <laughs> like I'm dying to go have a beer and watch a game with you and your yes, wife.
1: <laughs> we need to do that. We need to do that. I, and by the way, next time I get to New York and next time you actually make your way anywhere south, we're going to find a way to meet.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and like I think, you know, this thing we're talking about, by the way, doesn't come natural no. to everyone. Like we have the ability to reach through the the screen or the headshot and make a friend, make a connection. And it's a hard thing.
1: You've been doing this all your life, really, when you started on radio, which didn't have the visual, right? So it's all about the voice. Thank God. <laughs> You've got such a great voice for radio. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was in radio, Pete, like they didn't have any headshots. Like the web hadn't really arrived yet. I remember what it did. And we all had to put them on. It was kind of a stress and we had to write bios and like, I'll try to remember mine, but it had something to do with like, I like chocolate, raspberries, and... I think I said I had a huge crush on Ryan Adams. Okay. I didn't, but I thought it would be interesting enough. Cute. Yeah, yeah. And because, you know, he's so weird and he would like get drunk and pee his pants on stage and he never knew it was going to come out of that guy.
1: So, I mean, I so, like to kick a show off with at least three things chocolate, raspberries, and public urination. There you go. <laughs> check, check, check. I mean, you set the stage, it can only go really crazy places from here. So, people that know me recognize this. This is, by the way, why my wife would like to meet you. Because she's going to go, there's actually someone out there that likes you. I definitely need to meet her. (laughs) She doesn't believe any of this is real. She goes, you're making up this whole podcast thing. No one would. You're paying these people to talk to you. That's what she's convinced. That's so funny. She goes, I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) And I have to. So it's amazing. By the way, you've got this great company lately, AI. Well, we can talk about that towards the end. But I want to find out how you got there, right? So you were in radio for a long time. And it's funny, you just told me you meant, you launched a radio station in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is right down the road.
0: Yeah, it is called The Penguin, which is very hard to say, The Penguin, because you pop the peas and then you're swallowing the N and the G, right? And try to say it's sexy, and I'll try it for you now. It's like, you're listening to The Penguin.
1: It's actually pretty good. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> but it's ridiculous, though, right? I mean, come on. In a
1: town whose college um. mascot is the Seahawk. Somehow, there's a radio station with the penguin.
0: Yeah, it was a couple of guys who came from Asheville, oh, actually. So okay. they had worked at that really cool public radio station there, and they they started the format that I was in is called Triple A, okay, which doesn't mean baseball, but it was named by a guy who's a baseball fan. It means adult album alternative. Oh, okay. So like this format in the 70s and 80s groups like the police and the talking heads and you'd hear Bowie but of course Ryan Adams and Alabama Shakes and everything from B.B. King to you know like I was in you know the 90s so there's like a lot of Sarah McLaughlin,
1: for example stuff like that a lot of
0: angst <laughs> a lot of angst not enough I mean you know so it didn't go all the way to nirvana right but we could throw you know perhaps a i mean i'm trying to think of something that's so not 90s like i like 311 just came yeah. to my mind I, I was telling somebody by the way that record they had i think it was the second one and i don't love 311 by any chance remote thing but i owned this album and i used to vacuum
1: to it it was my vacuuming music everyone has a vacuuming soundtrack by the way they don't want to admit do they? It. yeah <laughs> i'm gonna tell you right now mine's hollow notes i'm gonna admit it right now it's, ah! <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure
0: are you man eater on the vacuum? Oh, is
1: that you? One hundred percent. And by the way, just you know, to break myself of the habit, we bought a house with all hardwood floors. I can't vacuum anymore. I had to walk away from it. I had to put it away. If it comes on right now, I got to into a corner and cry myself to sleep.
0: Our family dog used to bark at the vacuum cleaner because it was convinced it was some c- kind of animal.
1: So our dog, who is a Morkey, only howls. He's only done this one now with Little Big Town on the pontoon. The first time he did it, I was alone by myself with him. And the dog starts to sing the chorus. Not, I mean, like, oh Oh my God. I've I've got it on film. I will send it to you. It is the most hilarious. He doesn't say anything. When that song comes on, only that one artist, only that one title, without fail, he will go crazy.
0: It's incredible. You got to TikTok that.
1: My dog's, he's (laughs) heavily, by the way, we should. He's heavily medicated now.
0: Like, you know, you've made it when your thing becomes a verb. So I just said, you should TikTok that, right? And so like, I've thought about this. My, you know, when will someone say, like, I'm going to lately, honestly, it doesn't roll off the tongue that way. So I think they never will. Yeah. We should have thought of that. Like when you're, so note to self folks, when you're naming your company. Too many L's. Yeah. When you're naming your company in your future, you have to imagine how it will sound if it becomes a verb.
1: Well, you should actually get to the point where someone says, I'm going to churn us this.
0: That I stole. I mean, that's not mine because it's my husband's, but...
1: I'm going to put it in the churness.
0: <laughs> put it in the churness. <laughs> so I had told you churness rhymes with furnace because my... So my husband, of course, is a musician. Their band, The Wells, was our favorite record of the year. The first year I was the music director at The Loft, XM50, on XM Satellite Radio. And of course job hazard because of I fell in love with musicians all the time, and they're all assholes, except this one. Sure. You know, really nice man. But he's an incredible guitar player. In fact, Eric Amble, who was Joan Jett's guitar player, used to call my David the best guitar player in New York. Wow. And so his nickname was Chernus the Furnace because- He's a smaller person. He's about 5'4", but he packs a fiery punch, you might say.
1: That is so awesome. So I interviewed a guy named Dale Dupree the other day on my podcast. Do you know who Dale is? He started the sales rebellion. Mm-hmm. And Dale was in a metal band, a speed metal band, for like seven years when he was 15 to like his early 20s. And he met his wife at a show. She was in the audience. He looked at her and he goes, I knew right then and there. So you know, despite the rumors about the music industry being so difficult, there are chances for romance
0: in music. There are, and also entrepreneurship, I think, to your point as well, yes. because I know a lot of people ha- that have come out of the music industry, and, and here's why, I think. I was a line cook all through uh, middle school and high school and college, Pete. Everything Tony Bording has ever said is 100% true. I, I've totally lived it. And then radio, and then now Startup land and what they all have in common is the lawlessness of it all. Yeah, and so I think that radio breeds that,
1: or it used to. I mean, the lawlessness was interesting. He said I experienced things that I never thought I experienced at a very young age, by the way, which means he had to kind of figure out which path he wanted to take. He said I got to meet one of my favorite. We opened for one of my favorite bands of all time, and they're all ten or fifteen years older than we. Who is
0: the favorite band? Oh,
1: I can't think of the name. I got his notes.
0: Okay, well, we'll have to put a pin on that and put it in the show notes. For people.
1: I will find out for you.
0: I won't know who they are because I'm not a speed metal fan. But. Same here.
1: I didn't recognize them. But by the way, I'm going to look them up too. But he said, I looked at these guys and I'm like, that's going to be me in 15 years. He goes, unless I choose a different path, which for some is the right thing to do. Some is not the right thing to do. So when you think you're the voice in the bank. I was going to
0: say my David cut. <laughs> it's please del- go. Ahead. Goddamn delay on streaming.
1: Oh, it is a delay. So <laughs> by the way, I'm curious. So truly... David's The Damwells, that album was the album of the year on your station at Sirius, and you got to meet the guitar yeah. player, and that's where it all went from there?
0: Yeah. So his band, that was their, which record was that? It's called Bastards of the Beat, I think. And they're kind of like Tom Petty-ish, you might say. Okay. Uh, I think better, of course. They There's a little movie about them that won a bunch of awards because Epic Records what they used to do, I don't know if they do this anymore because I'm out of the music industry, but they invest in several bands at once and they pit them against each other. So the bands were the Damwells, Augustana, and The Fray.
1: Oh, my goodness. And street. we all know who won. Yeah.
0: The Fray, uh-huh. right? And the movie is about kind of that and what happens to the band. It implodes. And uh, David was in a really angry place the year that was being filmed. And there's, I think he has Just really one line because he refuses to talk, and he's he's playing. (laughs) They're in the recording studio playing. The guitar he's holding is glittery pink, and the camera shoots to him, and he looks at the camera and he says, "This is not my guitar." (laughs) That's his whole line. (gasps) Yeah,
1: (laughs) that's awesome. That's awesome. So you guys met back what 2006 was this? Yeah,
0: that was 2006, and and since then he's cut his hair and wears chinos and he's in sales
1: oh my gosh he's become his father
0: to your point (laughs) yeah he's very good at it though which is you know i i take notes from him because he he works downstairs and i hear him all the time and i've heard the people he works for too the good ones and the bad ones and like he worked for this horrible ceo this bitch for a long time and every time i would sort of eavesdrop and think to myself god don't be
1: her don't be her (laughs) by the way some of those are the best lessons the bad examples are the best lessons.
0: Yeah. I mean, for sure. I am not always awesome (laughs) as Lauren and Chris and Jason and Brian and my whole team will tell you. And the terrible thing is I know it when it's happening. Yeah. You know, and I, I know when I'm taking the funny out of the room. Right. And I know when I'm being soul crushing And I can't help it as it's happening because I'm just human and I'm frustrated and the weight is on me and the weight is real and we've been eating glass for a long time because we're a startup and it's hard. And it's, you know, my old boss who I hated had this terrible phrase which I hated and I'm going to use it but it was shit rolls downhill. And when I see myself doing that, I'm like, fuck, you can't be this kind of leader. This is not a leader. And I was just Kind of complaining on LinkedIn yesterday, actually, that, you know, you were telling me how, what an incredible, I hate to say superhuman because I feel like it undercuts her, mm-hmm. but an incredible superhuman your wife is and all mm-hmm. the work she was doing with the logistics of running your life and the life of the family. Right. And why I don't have kids and I can't relate to that, the logistics of running a startup That's actually the easy part, believe it or not. The hard part is all the expectations that are upon you, especially if you're an underdog, right? Because the comparisons and the levels of success they often move. It's a which is annoying to me because I, you know, I'm competitive. We talked about that as well. And before we hit record, and I'm not never interested in winning the game, Pete. I'm interested in beating the fucking machine. To death, right? <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, I got like it. We
0: have, so I have a couple of arcade games out in our, in our garage and like real bonafide arcade games. And I've rolled the numbers over three or four times on each one. That's beating the machine.
1: I have to know which game's there.
0: Galaga, Haunted House, Pac-Man, and Centipede.
1: Okay, I see the Pac-Man poster behind you.
0: Yeah, here we go. <laughs> that's, that's actual velvet like Velour, remember those? Oh, yes. And it's three-dimensional. My my dad owned the largest print retailer in the Northeast in the 80s. So he sold posters to everybody in the mall. <laughs> so I would go down to the arcade. Right? That was
1: a big business in the 80s.
0: It was. And uh, I learned a lot from my dad. I mean, he was a really good entrepreneur and figured out how to, you know, my dad is really good at math and I'm not very good at math, but the key to his success is, to figure out how to use every part of every scrap of every thing. That's number one. And the second thing is to, you know, I hate to say it, self-included, but people are dumb and we make mistakes and we we break things or, you know, we do it all the time. So my dad, like, came up with all these ways to correct other people's errors. You know, if somebody – accidentally ruined someone else's artwork. He could fix anything. <laughs> you know, really anything. And it's amazing to me like so so he had he, he has the ability to foresee the chances of the mistakes happening yeah. and have a fallback for for that, right?
1: Wow. So when you when you look at your transition from the radio and I think one of the stories behind lately AI is is the intuition and the knowledge you learned about people. right? And you shifted very quickly into this marketing consultant. And did that for years. So how did you take everything you learned in radio, which by the way, is an advertising-driven business, right? You have to reach audiences. But what was the, what was the thesis? If you're walking in to make a new marketing consultant client, I'm Kate. I've been on the radio for 10 years. I know my shit. What was the pitch? Tell me the pitch.
0: So the one thing I figured out in radio, there's no money in radio. Like I was at XM broadcasting to 20 million listeners a day. I made it to the show. There was only two positions up above mine. And this is in 2006, and I made $55,000 a year in Washington, D.C., you know, big market, which is not a lot of money. No. And, like, I remember my dad actually saying to me, like, there's there's not really any room to grow here. (laughs) FYI, are you considering this? You know, because I hadn't. All I just thought was, like, this is such a cool job. I'm having the time of my life. But what I did figure out was that if you're the production director, you can, which means the engineering and the putting together of the commercials, so the writing, the creating the voiceovers, you can make a lot of side money okay. doing that and charge quite a lot. So, so like I could charge, you know, 150 to 200 bucks an hour for just my voice. And I wasn't very good at that. Like I couldn't, can't do characters or any of that <laughs> kind of stuff. Like I have one voice. I did it for you. It's kind of dreamy, sexy,
1: <laughs> dreamy, sexy, right? right? But you can shift into that anytime dreamy you need sexy. I,
0: I, <laughs> I worked for, so no one ever, asked me about this but I used to work for a ski reporting company a national ski reporting company we would get up at 3:30 in the morning and the associated press would spit out a snow report for the everywhere in the, in the country obviously we'd pretend that we were on the slopes and we would record these live 60 second snow reports pulling from the weather and then we would have the website open so we could see what the trails were and kind of like anything we could find out about where it's known in the trails and you would have to curate your voice for the kind of radio station it was so whether it was alternative or country or news or whatever right and so i was good at the young alternative stations because i could be like if you're not out in the pow pow today you're missing out time to shush down pink shushy cat you know, whatever, like just the stupid
1: thing. (laughs) That's awesome. So if you were doing this for the radio station in West Virginia, you'd be like, y'all snowing out here. Pretty good. You got to get out and get some white powder, maybe even ski some or snort some too. whatever you prefer. (laughs) I love that. Know your audience.
0: Yeah. Know your audience. Yeah. So, so that's the aspect though, that you learn, that I learned you could make money with. And so because I learned that, I wrote hundreds and hundreds of commercials. And I was also a fiction writing major, Pete. So another lawless endeavor, right? Because in fiction, you can make up your own rules, which I did. And I love the sound of words. I love the way words read. And so that aural wonder was reinforced by radio, because in radio, it's the theater of the mind. And the parallel between reading and just listening is very similar because both of them require the human to play a role with your imagination. They require effort, right? So in video, you're just sitting back having it all done for you. But when you read a book or you are listening to a podcast or anything, really, or
1: an audio book, your brain has
0: to fill the blank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Which is, by the way, I, I always hate it when authors read their own work because they're generally terrible at it. And they, they don't allow for the theater of the mind because they're so focused on kind of feeding you. They're too close to it, you know, so they're trying to spoon feed you the story yeah, and not let you fill in the blank and take it.
1: I have two examples that resonate with what you just said. So obviously I have three kids, right? My oldest daughter, my daughter loves Harry Potter. She, when she was a kid, it was it was kind of her thing, right? My youngest son liked it. My, mid, my middle son wanted nothing to do with it. But so I, I read all the books with my daughter and with my son. And then when the movies came out, we literally walked out of the theater. And, and what's amazing is we said the same thing. Like, that is exactly how I imagined it. Like, they took the book and what you were imagining on every character, what they were wearing, how they talked, how they walked, what the, what the hallways looked like, what the paintings did. And they made it come to life. You're like, literally, that's the best adaption of a book to a screenplay I've ever seen. It shocked me how, how well it was done. And we just drove back from a wedding in Charleston and we listened to Matthew McCodney's um, book, Greenlight. And you were talking about how you don't like it when authors read their own books. It was interesting listening to him read this book because the opening. Because
0: he's an actor. He's
1: an actor. And the opening scene, he takes a clip from some section of the book, and that's the opening scene he starts with. And I looked at my wife. We're five minutes. And I looked, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> we got to finish this. And you're right. As an actor, we got home and drove around in the subdivision hour to finish the damn book. But he made it real. Like, you could picture. Because he knows. Yeah, You could picture yeah. you, you, the sound of words, the way they read. You were drawn in. And the way he, and he had a really good pause at the end. He's like, green light. Like, that's why I told you this story, green light. And he would just go on to the next one.
0: It's everything, the delivery, you know, people have said for a long time, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And that's true. And, you know, I grew up, there was a, a book award called the Caldecott Award for children's books. I don't okay. know if that still happens, but those children's books would have like this big gold sticker on it and my mom was a first grade teacher so she always bought these for us and they're hardcover children's stories and they were all great and they came with records they came with readings and so it was like Bernadette Peters (laughs) you know these great classic voices and I grew up just listening playing with my dollhouse believe it or not and listening to these records where the wild things are and free to be you and me like you know all that stuff and there's something about I love being told the story, Pete. I love it. I, I reread the Harry Potter series every summer because I love the story. I love all the recalls, the callbacks that are throughout. Yeah. I love the puzzle and how so often I see the different setups and they surprise me. I, I see a new setup that she engineered like back in book one. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus, that's is a lot of thinking that had to go on here. And the great thing about an author like that or reader like Matthew or a a radio host, I believe, is when you're able to create that environment where the listener feels as though they're just going along for the ride, but they're actually taking ownership in the conversation with you. And the memory that I'm sharing with you around this, like it's so deep and ingrained because the power of sound requires me, me, a human, right? And this is something, let's just tie it to lately that we talk about all the time. So at lately we use artificial intelligence to learn your brand voice and then transform a podcast like this into dozens of social posts. The AI learns what to clip up because it's listening to the words and phrases you and I say, and it's matching those ideas against what it knows your audience is most likely to like and comment and share online, okay? That's what happens. And then that's amazing. The hard part is, we refuse to let the AI do all the work for you because we know that if the human intervenes, the difference is one plus one equals three thousand, right? If it's just the robot doing it on its own, it's just automation. But when you have the human in there, this is that the rush of nostalgia when there's a a powerful story like Harry Potter or green light. That's the thing that makes fans. We're fans. We're talking yeah. about this now. We can't yeah. help it. Yeah. And the power of a fan is the long tail. It's in it. You can't put a price on it. It goes on forever and ever and ever.
1: Oh my. The power of the fan is the long tail. That might be the title of this episode. Like yeah. radio. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, I remember when that came out, this was, this is my, my format adult album alternative lives on the long tail because we're not pop. We're not country. It's always a format that's like number 20 or 21 in the market. And I'm going to tie this back. So when I was in North Carolina at that radio station, I had gone to XM and my program director called me and he was like, Hey, the Arbitron book came out. You're number one. And I was like, What? This is impossible. Number one in a format that's always 2021. And I was evenings. Evenings are never number one. Drive times are number one, right? In North Carolina, I beat out country and rock and roll, classic rock and roll. And he was like, How did you do that? Well, I was the production director. So all the drops were mine. All the commercials were written by me or engineered by me, more or less. And when I was on the air, it's my show, so it's my voice in between, and also it's my music choice. And I had tossed his playlist out the window because it didn't do what we're talking about now. It didn't weave the new songs in with the old songs so that the listener had a point of nostalgic uh, familiarity with which to go along the ride.
1: It's interesting. There is a radio station here in Raleigh that, that launched a few years ago. And it's WBBB 961, And that's exactly the format they've chosen. So they play a little bit of everything. They don't play country, but they play, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say alternative, but they say they play pop rock from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 2000s. And they weave the new artists in with the old stuff. So you're listening to it. And we talked about this before, right? I might have some pink, but then all of a sudden I'm listening to Hall & Oates. And I will pull my call over, get outside of the street and jam on some Hall & Oates. <clears throat> yeah, but you're like, you can't get that anywhere else. You know, if you want to just be brainless and turn the radio on and listen to it for a while and have somebody else take you for the ride like you did as a DJ, that's refreshing versus you having... create. When I watch my kids with Spotify, I'm exhausted. How they curate their own music and create their own stations and they love it. I was a Pandora guy because I just picked an artist and hit play and then it just did it for me.
0: It is exhausting. Yeah, I never do that anymore. Like, you know, we'll go somewhere and someone will be like, Kate, pick the music. And I'm like... I don't fucking work
1: there anymore. That's not my job anymore. <laughs> it's too exhausting. Sometimes you just want to be in the moment. I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that the startup thing is hard, right? And you've got this mixture of artificial intelligence, but you've got people still engaged with it. I'm going to try to parrot back what you said. The AI is interesting. I think that allows you eventually scale, right? Because that automation piece is helpful, but you have to bring the humans into it To bridge that gap. And I think you, you know, you said that the theater of the mind, right? I think is that where you're connecting that automation back into the theater of the mind?
0: Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll do two things. Let me give everybody a proof point and then explain it. So at lately we have a 98% sales conversion, 98%. And we only use lately to market lately, nothing else. So I do three or four interviews a week, just like this. I'm going to ask you for the file, or Emma is, my coworker. Okay. And we're going to take the file. We're going to run it through our own AI. It's going to transcribe this podcast and read through it and find the ideas and phrases and quotes that it already knows are going to resonate with my target customer. Okay. And it'll clip the video up, and then my human, Alex, will go through and just make sure the AI is on because sometimes it will pull weird things out like a non sequitur and you have to guide it because it's only a robot, right? It does learn. And then she'll say, take 20 or 30 posts, publish them on our brand channels and also our employee channels because we're stronger together. And then we watch to see who likes and comments and shares and we consider them, you know, warm leads basically and and push them into the funnel that way. So that's the proof. The why it works to touch on your point is like this. So when your brain listens to a new song, Pete, it must instantly access every other song you've ever heard in an instant. This is how the neuroscience of music listening works. So imagine that, right? That your, your brain is running through everything, this massive library of songs, and it's looking for familiar touch points so it knows where to index the new song in the library of the memory of your brain. Now by accident, by default, by nature, nostalgia, memory, emotion, all these things get touched as this is happening, which is why music is so Mm -hmm. powerful. Those are also the characteristics that must be in play for trust to Mm -hmm. happen. And trust is why we buy. So now when you write copy, whether it's social media posts or an email or a text to your wife or a billboard sign, the person who reads that copy hears your voice in their head in your voice, Pete, just like mine and everyone else's, is a song. There's a musical note. All sound has a frequency, right? So it's your job as the host of this podcast or the author of that text to give me familiar touch points and trigger nostalgia, memory, emotion, trust.
1: Wow. So I could be wrong. I've never heard anyone First of all, I think this is due to your background. right? I've never heard anyone come with you know 20 years of music in their background and think about everything that music does. And uh, another easy example is my wife um, made it a policy that we would have music playing in our house every night. So like from 5 o'clock through dinner, it was Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, Michael Buble, Harry Connick Jr., all the classics, regardless of what my kids listen to during the day.
0: All the romance, yeah.
1: It was a calming music. My kids could do homework to it. So now they associate that music to smells, right? Certain foods that she'd make to nothing but pleasant memories of the family being together. That is her thing. And she's religious about it. If I'm, if I'm cranking, you know, slightly stupid and she comes in at five o'clock, she's on Sonos, she switches the station. She looks at me and I just go, okay. And all of my kids, we're, uh, she's, she's the best. We're all music. We love music. None of us can play or sing. But we are music-aholics. We have all of the family plans. We share playlists. We fight with each other on who can run Sonos channels and stations and who can take over as DJ. My youngest son's kind of the champion there. But we just love every aspect of it. So I hadn't thought about the fact that music can trigger trust. So let's drill more into that. When you're taking a snippet from a podcast or a video or something else and you bring it to copy... What are the things that you've taught the AI and your people to look for that establish trust?
0: So, for us, what I did was I created a couple dozen rules, and I call—we call them. My team calls me Caitly Pete, Caitly from okay, lately. I like
1: that, I can use that. <laughs>
0: okay. So they're called Caitly's writing rules. The subtitle that Chris, my employee, my teammate, created was the writing, the copywriting rules you wish you had in college. And I'll give you an example. So one of my favorite rules is don't use words that undercut your authority that are weak, like probably, maybe, I think, I just wanted to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A statement is powerful. And when you take a statement and you make it a guess, it's not that you have to be a know-it-all. But in in writing, it just translates as you don't know what you're talking about. Right. and our entire goal as sales and marketing people is to get people to do what we want them to do. No shame in that. That's communications, right? And so if I want you to do something for me and I'm going to be a wimp on how I ask you to do it, it's not very compelling, of course. So my, once the AI runs through and does its thing, my team takes those rules and that's the rules to augment Now, we teach these rules to all of our customers live about once a month. And I do these copywriting courses for companies like HubSpot, Content Marketing World, whomever. They're really fun because, you know, I'm a
1: rule breaker. You like to create the rules and then break them. So
0: it uses you as the first example of things to learn from. But then it uses me and my team and all the data sets we have from all of our customers from the last seven years who are doing these same kind of rules or augmentations, for example. One of the great learnings to just double down on your point a little bit that we found was, so, so lately, these AI services word clouds that literally show you the words people are responding to. And it does this with hashtags as well. So we don't really care what's trending in the world because what really matters is what's trending with my target audience, right? And I can see it in black and white. Now, the traditional way in marketing to use hashtags is as an indexer. So you string a bunch of hashtags that you want your stuff to be searchable by. Now that has gone by the wayside because it's perceived as a lazy and spammy, because it is, you know, people will be like, hashtag Beyonce when they're talking about socks. (laughs) You know, come on, the SEO cottons onto this now, the algorithms do. But instead, if you use hashtags to augment what your message says, and contextualize it further or ground it or add a sense of humor then your engagement skyrockets so for example my highest performing hashtag my personal one is hashtag peeing my pants back to urination
1: (laughs) i knew we come full circle we did
0: that's what when gary vandercheck tweeted about us that's what i said
1: well that's by the way if gary tweets at you and you come back with that I've seen you do this, right? So I see your posts. I see your hashtags. There's something clever there. There's something that's pulling a point out of what you just, of the copy to say, hey, look, if you're going to remember anything, remember this, right? It might just be a humorous way to remember it. But honestly, that's why I reached out to you because your copy was always humorous. But I'd look at your hashtags and go, shit, this girl's got a freaking wicked sense of humor. I don't know if anybody else picked (laughs) up on this, but that shit's funny, right? So I'm like, and, and by the way, she just doesn't care. She's just throwing it out there. Like, this is who she is. Get on the the train or not. So I love that stuff. It's authentic. Thank you. I hadn't considered the fact that hashtags in general are kind of stale unless you rethink them.
0: Yeah. So the AI learns from this, by the way. So we've done an experiment where we worked with Anheuser-Busch and Bev, and we wanted to see if the AI could start inputting that kind of voice into the text it pulled. So take it and then augment it itself. And the answer is Yes. (laughs) So we did it with them first and like 10,000 pieces of content from one of their brands, like that, like 40 beer brands. Okay. And so it was able to study social media posts and radio scripts and anything that had like text with a brand voice in it. So then the second experiment was, let's do it with me because I have thousands of pieces of content, t- tens of thousands. And so I think it was with some Christmas copy. And it was so funny because it, I had been making some some weird Santa analogies. I don't remember what it was like. But the AI started putting those kinds of hashtags into the copy. Interesting. Yeah. So that's the next version, by the way. My team is implementing it as we speak.
1: <laughs> is the goal to do the hashtags in line or is it to do it at the end of the post? In line. Yeah. Okay.
0: To inline. You can do them both, but both ways. But what's nice about inline is there's a break because it's visual. A hashtag is a weird thing to see in the middle of a sentence. Also, it turns it blue. And writing is just like eating, I had told you that I was a line cook all through middle school and high school and college because I couldn't afford to feed myself and I was a beast. I was climbing all the time and playing soccer and I got two free meals a day behind the line and I didn't have to look very nice because I'm not great on the, on the weight, weight staff side. I mean, I could hang with the guys and I could smoke because you know, you did back then <laughs> on the line. That was like a badge of honor. Can you smoke and like whip it up at the same time?
1: I had so many visuals from the cafeterias I was in back in the eighties of right now, just seeing that <laughs> one extra fries with that. Exactly. Just like that, man.
0: It's so disgusting, but yeah. So why was I telling you the story? Oh, so about how it looks in the plate, you know, we all, you guys have all seen chopped. Like that's one of the three categories is how it, how it looks, how it appears and writing is the same way. So, you know, we think about earlier when we were talking. We we started this conversation out. We're at high. We're at a high. You and I. We're like j- jamming off each other. We're laughing. I'm pretty sure we're not even talking in a linear sense. So maybe people are having a hard time cotton on. And then we started talking about something else. And I purposely slowed it down, and I left some space in what we were talking about because I want to make sure that I'm making people lean in at some point, right? And give a break like a song.
1: That pause is really important, not only in public speaking, but also how you write, right? Let people chew on that in the copy. Like you said, visually, it's a space. It's the way you list things. It's bringing them to a certain crescendo that you want them to do by building up anticipation.
0: Yeah. That's right. And I'm thinking, I'm always reading it out loud before I hit publish. This is the big cheat. So I, <laughs> amazingly, as we were setting up this call, My microphone wasn't working. The irony of me being A, a tech entrepreneur, and B, a former rock and roll DJ and not having a mic that's working is annoying, but there it is. But the other thing is, Pete, so I I use voice-activated software. I don't type at all. I talk to my computer all day long because I have a partial permanent disability and I can't type without extreme pain. Oh. uh So I always hear myself. I always hear it before it goes out. So I know right away when I sound like a fucking asshole, <laughs> sometimes I hit send anyways.
1: <laughs> so how is it affect, is, is it capture you pretty well? Does it learn how to pick up cadisms? I mean, or are you finding like, oh shit, I got to fix that. I got to fix that. Or it's got to write. It
0: takes a long time. I've been using this since about 2007 or 8, or 2006 was when I left XM. It's why I left XM. And you train it like a language. So I use Dragon Naturally Speaking professionally, which is like the version for total hands-free usage. And it learns. So what's so interesting about this is, so so the people who create Dragon are constantly feeding it language, whatever language you want. And they're feeding it current events, newspapers, and all this stuff. Sure. So a couple things. Once in a while, this cracks me up so hard. I'll say, you know, instead of yada, 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 I might say blah, blah, blah. And Dragon will type Bob Blah blah, like from Arrested Development.
1: Oh my gosh, because that's where it got it. That's hilarious. It's
0: hysterical. I know. And then my favorite one, Dragon, is my team knows too, because like I'm with them, I'm lazy and I don't correct it. And so I don't make grammatical errors, I make sound alike errors. So if you read the text, you could tell what I'm really trying to say. So for example, it has multiple times confused the word VCs with feces.
1: Oh, perfect. But by the way, I've met a lot of VCs. Most of them are really good people, but I have a couple that I would that I would call, f- yeah, and they know who they are. Yeah, me too. Unequivocally, they know who they are to the point where I guarantee you they're not listening to this podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of them don't. I, I have to tell you, it's really, I, well, this is for another show, but but the, I've got some great stories, Pete, and the book is going to be, I'll, I'm going to title that chapter, of Feces.
1: Please I do. Think. Please do. Uh, this reminds me of, the joy my kids get when my mother talks to text.
0: Oh, yeah, I
1: bet. <laughs> it's epic. Literally epic. who knows what it's really saying. You get your phone, it's like 65-inch it's like paragraphs. She lets it rip. Oh, yeah. And now she's discovered emojis. She talks and requests emojis, which is great. Smiley face, you know, poop, angry face, whatever. You're like, God. It is
0: amazing. She
1: needs some Kate in her life. That's all right. I got to. I got to switch over to Dragon actually <laughs> speaking professional. Isn't
0: that funny though? By the way, like that I still talk for a living, Pete. What's the what's the irony there, huh?
1: So I I'm curious. Has this software continued to obviously they're populating with new information all the time. I'm guessing that they update the algorithms and you get new versions of it because it's. I mean, if you've been using this for 14 years, that's come a long way.
0: They do, but I know some secrets at this point because I'm really good at it. So I know a lot of people who are, who were the original builders who have moved on and done different things. So when there's a problem with Dragon, it's hard to fix, honestly, and unless you know where to go. And I know the who's who's, and I know the message boards and, and who to call. And they're weird people,
1: totally weird, frankly. Brain's working at a different level, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and when COVID happened... The people who who do build Dragon, their whole engineering team was in somewhere in South Asia. Anyways, they split because you know they all were working in the same room, and for some reason couldn't figure out how to work remotely. And so the the fix crippled me for like six or seven months. And suddenly, all my, I couldn't access my email, Ooh. all this stuff. And so I had to call one of these guys. <sighs> And they built a workaround for me. (laughs) Oh, my
1: goodness.
0: (laughs) Which is a pain in my ass for months until the, until it was about a year, uh, about 15 months until the new, you know, version went up. And I don't know what regular people, what other people did, but this is what you do. I mean, you know, I don't think about this ever because this is my life and this is how I operate my day. But to other people, I mean, imagine like you, imagine you cannot type, you can't touch your phone or type.
1: Most people would freak out. They would freak out. They wouldn't, they wouldn't know what to do.
0: And then I fixed it.
1: Wow, yeah. so right. you're kind of living in this AI world every day, right? From you inputting things into your yeah. systems and recognizing it, and then spitting stuff out. I'm like, this is hey, this is a clip we should share with people based on this research and their audience and the person speaking, etc. So, for people who are who've heard this and are now curious, who's the ideal customer for lately AI? If, they, if they're listening, it's going, I should I should contact Kate and the team. What would that, what would they look like? Who would be the ideal client profile for you?
0: On the smaller side, people who have podcasts or it works with blogs and newsletters as well. So if you have long form content that you want to unlock the true power of essentially and save yourself eons of time, then you're my people. But then we work with enterprise customers as well. So lately has a syndication capability, Pete, where one person can syndicate what the AI creates out to any employee, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram channel. So like employee advocacy on steroids.
1: So if you think about having a a really clever group of customer facing folks who have a LinkedIn profile, if they now have the ability to scale this across their content, it's pretty powerful. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's what I, so I built a spreadsheet system. You had asked about this a little bit and I didn't answer you. Between radio and lately, I owned a marketing Mm -hmm. agency. Yeah. And I built Walmart, a spreadsheet system that did this, that got them 130% ROI year over year for three wow. years.
1: That's quite a spreadsheet. Because
0: together we're stronger, Together, right? Yeah, it was.
1: <laughs> Be better. Yeah.
0: It Jeez. was. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, I walked in there again, we, we have to wrap but Like I walked in there with all the rough edges that you're seeing now. And they looked at me like I was fucking crazy they did. And I was, I mean, you know, I was suggesting things that you would never suggest in a way that was totally offensive because I don't know, or at the time I didn't know the rules. I didn't know there's rules in corporate America. (laughs) You know, you don't reply all number one, there are
1: rules.
0: (laughs) And I just didn't fit that mold. But the person who brought me in knew this and didn't care. Yeah. They trusted me. And that's the best lesson I've learned through all of this is that if you give people the permission to be, Themselves, they usually fly.
1: Yeah, it's so true. Being in the people business, it's the hardest thing for some older school leaders and managers to do because they don't have a high level of trust. They're afraid if they let people loose, uh, a on their schedules, b on their time, and c on their creativity, they can't control them anymore. And they don't realize that every one of their employees is a their best marketer and b their best salesperson and c their best client service person. Right? They're building their own brands, and if the brands are housed underneath the brand, that people go, "Oh man." I'd like to work there because they're a bunch of really cool, creative people, right? That is hard for some people to make that shift, but that's where the magic happens. How many people on your team today? How big is lately?
0: Seven full-time and five part-time.
1: Where do you see the business going in five years? Interview question.
0: (laughs) Right now, lately does 75% of the work for you. And our goal is to have it do 90% of the work for you in the next Year and a half, really, and we just built a self-service product. So, what we're really working on is how do we give the power of an army to the armies of one, and do it in a way that uses that model I told you. Um, it's working, by the way. We just we just released this a couple months ago, and the conversion rates are really high. And we're discovering that people are really interested in pushing the button to see what the AI happens, what what it does, what it comes up with. So, we're learning how to make how to gamify that. And that is an interesting kind of understanding. And I don't have the answer, Pete, but I'll get it because we're really good at this, but figuring out like, you know, what's the KPI for people in marketers at a company. It's pretty easy. Usually it's like be more effective, right now for their boss, it could be save time or save money, but save, save time and money are not really hot buttons for people anymore. They could give a fuck. They assume it's part of the jam already, you know, but even being more effective seems to not be ringing enough of a bell anymore, which is crazy. Like, what do you want? I've got Gary V. I'm getting him a twelve thousand percent increase engagement, twelve thousand percent. I've got a ninety eight percent sales conversion. I mean, Jesus Christ, what what more could you want? But they do. So my challenge is discovering either a how to communicate this better, give them more, or make it so make the value so much more. The value is not obvious enough yet. That's what I've learned.
1: It's so painful when, when that's the case, because I'll tell you, I'm now very curious about it lately because I am a podcaster. I am a content creator. I'm not good at either one of them. But I'll tell you that the game changer for me was, and I will say for me, it was time. And, it, and time led to scale, which led to performance. So when I started my podcast I was doing two episodes a week just to build content. I just wanted to get I wanted to get it out there, I wanted to get into a rhythm. And I was running a, you know, I was working full time and it was exhausting. I'd spend, you know, 4 to 6 hours a weekend editing one podcast because I was stupidly very anal about it. And I realized I was editing myself out of almost every episode. The conversation was good, but it wasn't necessary to pull out what you were saying, so I literally just Everywhere I could, just take Pete out, take Pete out, and get it down to the core essence. But I ended up giving it over to a company that does all my editing for me. And it is amazing how much productivity that saved me in time. Now I enjoy the podcast because I don't feel like, oh God, I just created 10 hours of work over the weekend. (laughs) But here's the thing that that I hadn't contemplated. And by the way, they do create a snippet for me. They create two snippets for every episode. I have no idea how or why they choose them.
0: And why not more? That seems like a waste to me.
1: It's a complete waste. I, but again, it's for me, there is value because I know how much it costs for me to create a snippet. I know how much time it would be because I did those myself as well. That's part of it. I would drop it into a subtitle. I do it. You know, I'd correct, fix all the errors. I'd edit that, that segment, you know, do it in Wondershare, all that shit, right? I figured out how to do all that. Scale was such a challenge for me. And now I can focus on other parts of my business. So you're right. If I could get 15 snippets out of that, both in video and in copy, that I could blog or post, I'd even like to take a snippet that just had me in the shot. Right. So what did I say in that episode versus the two of us together that I could do as a one on one thing? This is your, you're at the forefront of this content generation. And I think people are afraid of, because it, by the way, it's a freaking lot of work creating content. Good content and consistently. Right. So you're you're solving those problems. And if you have results like a twelve thousand percent increase in conversions or sales conversion, whatever it is, somebody's got to pay attention. I would say five years ago you went way ahead of the market. Now I think you you've hit that wave at exactly the right time. We'll see how how you catch the wave now.
0: Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Either either people get it or they don't. And part of the getting it is the mindset. So this is where that long tail comes in because everybody gets promote my podcast once or twice, where I'm going to give you 40, 50 snippets, literally. And like my, not everybody does this, but my team uses all of them and plugs them out for weeks on end because we've created this engine here where, you know, so we have a right now with the self-service product, we have a thousand visits to the homepage every month. And through the home page and then clicking to the sign up, this is the self service version. We've got a 48% sales conversion. Wow. Okay. Which is like really high. Now it's 90, 98 on the enterprise side. So that's where the human involved mm-hmm. at the end of the process. Right. And then with the self service, no human involved. And this was the test can it work this way? And the reason it works is because we bet on this residual how long it takes for all 40 50 posts to go out over time and then build up in in, into a patchwork of a quilt in our calendar right yeah over years of traffic traffic the conversation i had with my team yesterday is okay we've been going along like this with our no no budget for marketing and our small team how do we double how do we make it two thousand visits a month with no money what we're doing now
1: and when you think about your team repurposing these snippets these 40 snippets have you automated that part of it like so in other words I've taken this podcast I've generated these snippets I push it out to the team they just have to literally go copy paste push or how does how does it work
0: oh no we push it out from. oh you're like... shitting me yeah we yeah <laughs> we automated that too damn yeah. <laughs> so I created a, our, an army of evangelists right that's awesome because what you said is exactly what I learned, which is when you make your employees your biggest fans, just like your customers, they market you for free. So when we talked about in the beginning, when I'm a shitty leader, the reason I feel so bad is because I'm hurting my most valuable assets.
1: Wow. And you described that right at the beginning. By the way, I've got 16 pages of notes. I'm Sorry. No, <laughs> by the way, I'm going to get all the transcripts of this, but there are some things I write down because usually it's funny. I write shit down. And I go back and go. That's the name of this episode. So you said two things. I want you. I want you to share an example for me. So you know when you're taking the funny out of the room, and you could be soul crushing. How would you be soul crushing to your team? What would be an example of something you would do? You'd be like, God, I suck.
0: I don't understand why people can't read my mind. I really don't. I get really upset about that, and I surround myself with people who mostly can. I'm really lucky. I have superior superior teammates they are incredible humans and i would die if if i lost them because this is how good they are so on those rare occasions when they can't read my mind i i throw a fit like an asshole and the reason is because i'm so used to us operating at this high level and i don't understand what happened what, yeah. you know why did they drop drop off right you know? so that's my fault that's my expectations are too high nobody can be inhuman only i can be inhuman you know, and I have the same expectations of myself. You know what that's like, Pete, when I'm, you're always going 100 miles an hour when the engine is only meant to go 25, there's going to be a burnout eventually.
1: Parts start to fall off, yeah.
0: They do, yeah. And it's not just for me, it's for them and, and as well. And if it's my job to cheerlead them, it's difficult. Like, I surround myself with people who are much better at cheerleading than me because it sounds like bullshit when it comes from me, honestly. Because it is bullshit because I don't... <laughs> not my forte it's so bizarre like i like to i like to pay people and let the money talk but at the same time i don't pay them often because i can't so it's like fuck sure you know
1: <laughs> those are always great conversations
0: uh the worst and it, and it gets harder and harder as we get older because as you know just as human beings we have a lot our capacity to withstand duress is You know, harder. It's and it's ridiculous. Like this is what I was writing about on LinkedIn yesterday. Like the constant eating of the glass and the constant getting punched in the face. Like I have a really high tolerance for pain personally, really high. And it's not a badge of honor. Just is my way. And not everybody has that tolerance. And obviously, I have an addiction also, Mm -hmm. Pete. Because I keep going back for more and more. What the fuck? I don't. I can't even imagine life after lately. Right. So. You had asked about, you know, stealing the funny out of the room. My other great gift is to see the glass half Ah. empty. I have a note right here. It says, positive, because this is my Achilles heel. I'm always negative. You know, my husband is a fucking saint, because I'm always pointing out what's wrong with everything.
1: Which is an unusual dominating trait for an entrepreneur.
0: I mean, the good news is I'm always looking for the problems, and I'm trying to fix them. That's my because that's what you want. You're always trying to, like, the moment that there's no problems, and this happened to us, like, oh, boy, I remember this blissful time where we thought we were, like, coasting on whipped cream and bees. and then I realized what the fuck was really going on, and it was terrible. But my team is very bubbly. They're all hilarious. They have great senses of humor. Most of them take... All of them take criticism very well. I'm terrible at that also. And they know the power they have because I talk about it all the time. I don't tell them enough personally, but I say it on these things. And I think publicly is a better way to do it anyways. I hope so. And I know that they occasionally listen to these things, or at least the ones who have to go through the AI do. (laughs) Um, But I pray to God every day to be just to be better, Pete, don't you?
1: A lot. (laughs) <laughs> it's the first, first thing I say every morning is, please help me just be a little better than yesterday. And, uh, and you, you know, it's funny, whether it's with my wife or my team, I know when I've been shitty. And usually it's pretty instant. And I go, shit, this morning you said you wouldn't do that. And then you just freaking did it. <laughs> it's great that you're, oddly enough, my, the chief operating officer at Sabo, who I've grown to really admire and like as a person. You know, there's a disaster around every corner, and that's the way he sees the world. Um, he lives entirely; his entire life is in spreadsheets. His calendar, his to do list. I think his Christmas list. I think he writes his wife love letters in Excel spreadsheets. Right, <laughs> honey, just hit the macro; it'll tell you everything I feel about you. But yeah, column A, row six. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But the good thing is, is we've recognized that's how we work well together. I'm going to lean forward and pull him along and say, Chris, it's going to be okay. We've got to go do this. Let's break some glass. It's going to be, we're going to, we're going to jump off a cliff here. And he's like, Pete, yeah, great. Did you look at this? And if I haven't looked at it, I need to. <laughs> Sometimes it'll pull me back to the cliff. Other times like, yeah, fuck it, we're still going. Right. And I haven't had a situation where I've been working with that kind of really good balance. And he's really good at at taking feedback. He's good at giving me feedback. So it's worked. It's pleasant. And we have a, a co-founder who is our mad scientist who, you know, has all the passion of fire and verve. And I think sometimes he's like, "Would you two just freaking figure it out? So
0: <laughs> we've got
1: a tiebreaker if we need one, which is awesome.
0: That's excellent. Yeah, that teamwork is magical. Good
1: it job. is. And, you know... So what's next for you and uh, your musician husband, David? What's the biggest thing you're looking forward to doing this summer? I know you got back from two West Coast trips, so maybe not that. But what, do you, what, do you, what are you looking to bring home and maybe a music festival or something? What's your highlight?
0: I don't know, Pete, because COVID is so weird. My parents live on a lake in Vermont, and my favorite thing is to swim in that lake or to float in it at least. So I really hope to do that. And I miss my my niece and nephew who will be there there's a photo from a couple summers ago of me doing some chalk artwork with them and we're all lying down on the chalk artwork and there's, they're smiling and I'm smiling. And for my birthday, David likes to take photos and put them in a card and print them out for me photos. He thinks I like. And so that photo is hanging, hanging in my room there. He chose that because he knew that I missed them and because they give me joy. I don't have my own kids. How old are they? So they're six and nine. Oh,
1: great ages. And they and they think Aunt Kate is like the bomb, don't they?
0: They like me. It takes them a little while to warm up every time, you know, but then we become friends again and they call me Monty Cake.
1: Which That's is pretty cool. That's a good thing to be associated with.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I have to pee, Pete.
1: <laughs> By the way, we came back to urinating.
0: <laughs> and Lauren is texting me wondering if I'm coming to this meeting at 1230. And I'm like, yeah.
1: So let's let you go. I'll end this. We'll close real quick. But Kate, I, I could do this for two more hours. You got a job to do and you got to go pee. I love you. Love it. It's been great.
0: Thank you so All much. Right.
1: Well done. We'll talk yeah. to you soon. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.